Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. She does a lot of different things, and it's this whole, you know, tribute to this wonderful woman. Anyway, people should be fairly familiar with it, but it talks about, you know, she laughs at the future. And I always found that super curious because, you know, in my younger years, I was a big worrier about money and where how things were going to work and where money was going to come from. But now I actually use that part of Proverbs 31 on my website. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing. Then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is V. Koo, and I'm the host of the Real Estate Laugh podcast. Given a woman a dollar and she can put it to good use. Teach her about how money really works. She can change the world. That's a quote by Linda Davis Taylor, CEO and chairman of Clifford Swan Investment Counselors. I love this quote a lot because equality is so important globally, yet we don't have that many women investors in the world. And my guest is here to change that. She's a wealth empowerment coach, real estate investor, wife, mom, and a controller at a civil engineer firm. Yes, she controls everything. Now, for 20 years, she has been studying money and wealth creations. Since 2015, she and her husband have gained $5 million in cash-flowing assets. What an impressive resume she has there. And my guest today is Allison Brown, simply AllisonBrown.com. She also has a 90 days wealth empowerment coaching journey for women that you will hear more about during the program. I am sure you will find tremendous, tremendous value in today's episode. Also, she has a free Facebook group that you can sign up for and get free content from her. Make sure you check it out. Go to links.realestatelab.live. Slash Allison, A L I S O N. Now, before we get to today's content and today's episode, I just want to say that I appreciate your listenership. I know there are many things you could be doing right now, many other podcasts you could be listening to right this moment, but you are listening to my show, The Rusty Lab Podcast. And for that, I thank you. I believe in giving back and making an impact. And you have allowed me to do that with this show. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. All right, let's get to our episodes today with my guest, Alison Brown. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab Podcast. I have Allison Brown here with me. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you. Thank you for having me, V. I'm really excited to be here with you. 
It's terrific. So, right off the bat, I have to ask you this: Why do you end your sessions with a the hardest pose that's requires you to lay down on the floor? A pose called shavasana. <laughs> shavasana. So, shavasana. Yep. Yep. So my 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 recent post. Um, so I ta- uh, got certified to teach yoga five years ago. I'm not currently teaching yoga, but. I just loved Shavasana. Like it's the, it's corpse pose is the easier, more English way to say it. Um, And you might think, well, nothing's happening in that pose. But when I was doing gym workouts, but when we could regularly go to the gym and not worry so much about social distancing, that was one thing I really missed because it doesn't leave space after your workout. And I think that's so important. And I just started to see the parallels of why I liked that and conversations I've had in my personal life and in my uh, relationship with my husband about even just when you're trying to do a lot, you still need to be conscious about leaving space because things happen in that white space. Things happen in those five minutes of stillness. Um, so it, it has so many applications, both in working out and I think just planning your calendar and getting serious about doing more and leveling up. Um, sometimes you do more if you're actually allowing space for doing nothing, but like things are actually happening in that nothing. You're allowing time for your brain to uh, reflect, be creative, problem solve. Um, so that's what that latest post was about is how one, it's important in physical fitness. And two, I saw a lot of correlation in real life for needing to leave space. Right. And this relates to something that we do a lot in the mastermind that I'm in with Michael Zeller, which was thinking time. And you are blocking out everything else in your life. You just there kind of zone into your yourself and your thinking time, whatever you're focusing on, you know, you're laying there doing nothing could be one way of doing it, or you just go somewhere where there's no distraction. Now, with that aside, I know that you are now a coach in a different field. You help women become confident with their wealth building options. You are a wealth empowerment coach. Could you tell us exactly what does that mean? Sure. So really what that means is, you know, you can call yourself whatever you want. I just actually had a conversation with another coach who calls herself a financial coach, and she thought maybe she was confusing her target audience. And so she and I came to the conclusion that titles actually don't matter. It's more important to to focus on your I help statements. So I call myself a wealth empowerment coach because I like the ring of it because, um, in order for me personally, in order to get where I want to be, to build more wealth and have wealth that can be passed on to my daughter, to my grandchildren, to whoever, um, I really needed to get clear on on what that meant and where my power was going to come from that process. But titles don't matter as much. It's more the I help statement. So I help women become confident and get clear around their options when it comes to building wealth outside of traditional routes like 401ks. My personal background is some real estate investing, um, but there's multiple ways that you can actually go out and have your money make money. So that's what I help women get clear on. Um, it can, it, you can call me a life coach or a business coach. I can speak to your life. I can speak to if you're running a business or wanting to start a business. Um, but it's really about if you're leveling up, which most people that want to get wealth or make more wealth 
there is this aspect of you do need to be leveling up and you're going to have to learn to address some limiting beliefs and be able to stand in your power to level up in those ways. I'm hearing a little bit of the sauce. Right? That's why I stopped here. Okay. Okay. Now, Allison, in our initial conversation, you mentioned a lot of women in real estate, especially real estate investors who are in your space, even though they are investing in real estate, which is a fantastic vehicle to build generational wealth, just like what you described there. Um, you said that their money mindset is not there. Could you talk a little bit about that for, for us for a moment? I, sh I sure can. I think as women, uh, we and the women listeners, oh, I hope will be like, yep, me raising their hands. Uh, we tend to get very in our heads. And so even if we're maybe we're doing this with a partner, a spouse, maybe we're doing this by ourselves in real estate investing, um, we start to look for all the reasons, you know, oh, I don't know enough. Oh, I need to find a mentor. I need um, more classes. I need more education. And yes, for sure, in real estate investing, there is an aspect of you do really need to know what you're doing and you need to, and if you're not interested in something, this is where I always come back to when you're trying to choose which route you're going to go and what assets you're going to invest in. If everybody's talking about how hot multifamily is, but you are just like, this doesn't ring true to, I just don't get it. Like it's not where my heart's going. Like, listen to that. The more you're excited about things you're going to invest in, the more you're going to show up in a way that's going to help you be successful. So there's these mindsets and attitudes we need to address and men need it too. I just, I'm not a man, so I can't really speak to that. I can address things that I struggled with and I had to overcome. I remember going to one of the first um, syndication meetups my husband and I were going to together. And I remember thinking, I just hope I can understand what they're talking about. And we got to that meeting and I was like, I know what they're talking about. I'm not completely lost. This is awesome. Now, my husband had been kind of telling me things here and there, and I've read some books on my own two years leading up to going to this first event. Um, but I do remember when he came back from that first event in 2017, I was kind of like, I don't, you're using words I'm not sure of. And that, that threw me. That just was like, nobody likes to be completely um, out lost. of their, uh, yes, out of their element. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but surely and slowly, you know, I would listen to him. We'd have conversations. I'd be okay with the fact that I wouldn't always understand everything. I would ask questions to to clarify things. Um, mm -hmm. And just having that learning mindset, that beginner's mindset is really important. And as a woman, you have to realize that doesn't mean, oh, I, I'm admitting I'm dumb or I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you're approaching it from I'm a beginner, I'm a learner, or maybe you have a lot of things under your belt, but they're using a word or two you don't understand. Just ask, just be honest and come from that beginner's mindset, that learner's mindset. Now, when it comes to the money mindset for some of these women that you interact with, what do you see is missing for a lot of them? You know, we want to def define it as like one word a lot of times. We want to say, well, uh, I need more knowledge or I need more of this. I need more confidence. I need clarity comes up a lot, V. I hear that a lot, whether they're trying to launch a business that has nothing to do with real estate or they just want to know. And I think what we're looking for actually is, at least in my personal experience, we want to know 110% that we're making the right choice and there will be no bad outcomes. We do not want to fail. And that is a 
it's just a mindset that's, it's a thought error. You can't be in that mindset. You're not, otherwise you'll stay in inaction because nothing is ever certain. Um, there is risk in everything. Yes, do your due diligence, but at a certain point, even though you're scared, you're going to have to make decisions and start investing because, you know, that old saying about planting a tree, you should have done it 20 years ago and the next best time is today. That's the same thing with investing. Like, yes, you should have started investing 10 years ago or 20 years ago, depending on your age. But if you couldn't, if you didn't, then start now. So I always encourage women to, you know, you got to start, you got to get in the mindset of taking action and being okay with learning some things through failing or making mistakes. Yeah. And that is something that's true for men also. And uh, I love a, a quote or pictures that you posted a while ago. And the quote says, having precise ideas often leads to a man doing nothing. And then your, your note here says, less looking, more leaping. I love that because now a few years later, this is still the same issue that a lot of people are dealing with because they want to be certain and before they jumping into anything at all, it seems like it's crazy. Yes. And we do that out of self-protection, I think. And, and, you know, the brain is meant to keep us alive and keep us safe. And so you're just doing what your, what your brain is naturally like, well, that could be risky. And that could, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens? And then you'll run into those people that are the, I told you so people. But, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about, you know, not being afraid to fail essentially was the, was the gist of it. And, how we're actually kind of conditioned a little bit in school to always say the right answer. And so it doesn't teach you um, how to think outside the box or how to be okay with trying different things and getting maybe the quote unquote wrong answer. But you're, if you're still looking for a solution, and sometimes in real estate, we need to get creative. Um, and so creative solutions are going to come from thinking outside the box or being okay to maybe think of a scenario that's a little bit different than a traditional path and still making it happen. Yes, and, and I 100% agree with that. It, Robert Kiyosaki has a book that I love a lot. It's called, um, I think it's the title, um, Why A Students Work for C Students. And that's the ideas of A students, you are always in school conditioned to look for the right answers and you don't wanna fail, you don't wanna test out new ideas. And the C students are just you know getting by in school and they always are, exploring different ideas. So at the end of the day, they are out there doing stuff in a creative way that maybe is not, that does not fit in the conventional mold. And like you said, creative real estate is one of the things that a lot of people talk about, but not many people understand how to do because, you know, you're taught to, hey, here's my spreadsheet, here's my formula, and here is the new shiny tactics to do certain things but at the end of the day you as long as you understand the fundamental you will be able to do any deals creatively and that's what i love to teach you if you are interested uh, now let's go back to your uh, your audience your clients what is the absolute must-have in a money mindset a blueprint for someone um especially for women, how do you change the mindset from, you know, afraid to fail to something that you can work with? 
For me personally, it depends. It depends where they're coming from. But I will speak to, I think, where I think a lot of women are coming from. We tend to be very conservative. And so you have to start looking for those ways where fear has come up and you have to really start digging into why did fear come up? So start noticing some things that maybe have been default behaviors um, that you've been maybe hardwired that way since you started getting some money habits early on in your life. So where is fear coming in? Start asking those questions. Why? Uh, What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, run those scenarios down. And then one thing lately that's been super helpful in my personal life is we've had a lot going on and we're trying to level up in a lot of different areas is just some mantras. And one I've been using is it doesn't matter what happens. We've always figured it out. We will always figure it out. Like it releases a lot of that fear and keeps us moving with purposeful action. Um, It doesn't, you know, your brain is going to tell you worst case scenario when you're about to do some, some big things and move in some exciting directions. And thank you, brain. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but start adopting mantras that work for you. And like I said, mine is, it doesn't matter what comes up. We've always solved it. Um, You know, it's, it's, having a problem solving mindset for sure. I love it. And, you know, um, one thing that you mentioned is that the money mindset that we in, we have, right. There are praying, uh, sorry, our brain is trying to protect us. So acknowledge what your brain is telling you, but then kind of, kind of think it through and act it out. See what it's going to be like on the other side. Now, many of us learn about money from our parents. And our money mindset or blueprint is sort of a replica of our parents. Could you share with us what did you learn from your parents about money? I sure can. I sure can. My parents are uh, loving and supportive, um, but I did not come from, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, wealthy parents. Um, They were very hardworking people. Um, and they're very conservative. And I think I noticed things in them about, um, you know, budgeting. Um, There were seasons as a child that I can remember that, you know, we were, my dad was much more diligent in budgeting and letting us kids see that that they were budgeting. Um, And then I think there were times in their lives when they weren't maybe as structured. And so it it does go through seasons. Um, You know, sometimes you're going to be more in the actual very minutiae detail of managing your money and budgeting and other seasons, um, you're going to like, I don't have to pay as close of attention, but that doesn't mean I'm not aware. So I definitely noticed that from my parents. Um, and just, you know, they were never business builders. My husband came, come from a completely different background where his parents were always entrepreneurs. They were business builders. They, his dad never wanted to work for anyone else. So we, when we got married, we had two totally different mindsets. I, I'm a self-professed A student V like you get a job (laughs) and you do, you do a good job and, and you get rewarded. You exchange your time for money and benefits and, and other things. And then my husband is the complete opposite of like, he cannot stand, you know, being trapped in an office for 40 hours a week working for someone else. And that's just where he's at. And so it's been interesting to blend that. I think, um, I don't know that I would have pursued as much um, left to my own devices as far as entrepreneurship or real estate investing. Because again, as a woman, I think you're just like, you're scared and you want to just do the traditional thing because, you know, like Robert Kiyosaki says, like we're trained to 
you know, become a cog in a wheel and get those grades. And, and that's why he wrote rich dad, poor dad, cause he had the two dads. So, um, I would say that, you know, my parents were hardworking, but they definitely were more the employee type versus the entrepreneur type. There's nothing wrong with that. I actually am blending both right now. I'm still an employee, very happy um, and fulfilling that, but finding, you know, leveraging time where I can to also be coaching women to say there is more because I wanted more. I still want more. You know, wanting more is the, like the ultimate goal for a lot of people who, you know, aspire to be um, doing something else in their life. But, but then you are at the end of the day, you're trapped at work. You're like, yeah, someday, someday I will, I will get to it. But you know, when now, another thing I want to talk about is um, your mindset in your twenties. What was your money mindset like between uh, like different or similar now and, and yourself in your twenties? So my mindset in my 20s was definitely, I think, more fearful, more I didn't have enough. Um, I went to college a little bit later than most kids do who choose to go to college. I started when I was 23. Um, I think that worked out really well for me because I came in with a very serious mindset of um, I'm here for a degree and it needs to translate to the real world. So, but I do remember th looking at friends of mine that were 18 or 19 and their parents were, they were super blessed. I do not resent my friends at all, but their parents paid for their entire college, like their car, wow. their gas, everything. And I was not in that boat, B. I was in the, I have to figure this out. Um, my parents helped me my first year. Mm. And after that, um, because I was 23, 24, I was considered independent in the eyes of you know, applying for um, loans and things. And mm -hmm. so that actually worked in my favor because I was a full-time student when I sent in all my financials. And so they're like, oh, you don't hardly make much money. We will, I got grants that I didn't have to pay back. I got some small scholarships. I did work study. Um, I always approached it with a very diligent mindset of I want to keep my debt as low as possible because mm -hmm. when I graduated, I didn't want to be paying off hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans or whatever balances people are graduating now. Like it can just take a very long time. I wanted to be as wise as possible. And I also chose to be a business major because that felt very, it translated really well to like jobs that would actually make money to pay off the loans. <laughs> um, but I also was really interested in business. Like I loved my business classes. They were fascinating. Um, but yeah, my mindset was definitely more feel more fearful and, um, which looking back now, I'm like, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, you know, it just made me super mindful of this is my goal is to get this degree. And then I want to get a job so I can pay it off. And, um, I don't regret that at all. It gave me some very practical skills. I have, you know, bookkeeping, accounting, finance, management skills, all very helpful now that I'm wanting to become an entrepreneur and I do real estate investing. Like all of that has translated super well. And now you have a mindset of more abundance. You know, wealth is out there. You can get it. You are helping other women doing the same. Now I'm talking to Addison Brown, simply addisonbrown.com. Uh, let's talk about your investing journey. Why did you choose real estate to begin with? Sure. So it definitely was more my husband was into it before I even met him. Um, he actually bought his first house kind of, I don't know if it's technically how people consider house hacking, but he bought his house. Um, 
I think right before everything went crazy in 2008. And he was like, yeah, I really had no job and you know, no income or whatever. Somehow he got the loan. Like they were just giving loans to <laughs> so anybody. So he got one of those yeah. ninjas loans. Yes, yes, the ninja <laughs> loan. He got one of those. Um, and then he was like, okay, I'm going to just rent out my second bedroom. And so that basically, it wasn't completely paying the mortgage, but it was offsetting it a lot. And so that's when he was starting to gain a lot, get a lot of exposure to uh, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books. And we still have all his original copies on our bookshelf in our house today. And so when I met him, um, it might've come up while we were dating and, but definitely early on in our marriage, we went to real estate investor meetups. They met like a block from our house. And I remember just being kind of like, I don't know that I understand all of this, but uh, it's make it like, it makes sense. Like buy a house and rent it out. And you, you rent it out for more than what you're paying on it. And, um, so anyway, it was a slow journey. Those first couple of years we were married. And then there was a turning point where I finally read we were probably married for a couple of years. And I, so I finally read like probably 2015 rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And oh, I remember wow, it took you that long. To, yes, it did. To find that book, huh? I know. Well, he kept talking about it and everybody that we talked to at our real estate investors club would, would always, you know, it's like the Bible for real estate investors. <laughs> and, um, it took me, I want to say probably two years before I actually got around to reading it. And I remember laying in bed and my husband's like, so what do you think? And I was like, we need to buy cash flowing assets. Like I was just like, this makes sense. Our, we need to buy assets. We need to not be buying liabilities. We need cash flow. And um, so I, things were starting to click for me, but very slowly because I also was, I was a full-time employee. Um, I was, you know, pursuing other things like running and yoga and just, you know, doing what I wanted to do. I wasn't necessarily like putting all my energy into the real estate investing. And then, um, so that our next move was to buy a duplex. We went to lunch with a mentor of ours. And so the easiest thing to get a cash flowing asset is to buy something you can live in. And potentially if it's a duplex, triplex, quadplex, you can rent out the other units. Mm -hmm. So that was our next move. We had a single family home that we kept and we rented out for more than the mortgage note. And then we bought, this was in 2014. We bought um, a duplex and then we rented out the other side and we basically lived for like a hundred dollars a month um, that we had to pay towards the mortgage. So almost for free, but not quite, but we had our mm -hmm. other cat, our other single family that was cash flowing. And then from there, um, my husband did get do another triplex. That was a little bit different situation where we were renting that out um, like short term, like Airbnb. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were expecting our first child. So then our next move was, okay, we actually need a house that's not a, immediately attached to our tenants. Um, so we bought an, a single family home that's now our existing family home. And so then we were renting out for a while our duplex, which was more than paying for its mortgage note. Um, the cash flow was maybe $900 a month. Um, and then still renting out our single family home. Well, then those assets had appreciated that now this is 2017 when our daughter's born and my husband is, he goes to his very first syndication, you know, mentoring club type thing. And he comes back and he's telling me about how you can syndicate real estate. And I remember he, we got on a couple calls with some people he had met at this event. And those were the ones where V, I was telling you earlier, I was lost. I was like, I don't even know <laughs> what words these people are using. Um, but from 2017 to the summer of 2019, my husband was like, 
doing lots of things and commercial lending in his background, meeting people in real estate, still figuring stuff out. We were um, looking at selling some of our assets because you need to sell your smaller assets if you're going to leverage into bigger assets. So um, we wanted to sell actually the single family home and the duplex together. That did not work out. They ended up selling in two separate years. So we had two different 1031 exchanges to do. Our first one didn't work out. We kind of just bit the bullet and we're like, learning lesson, we'll do better next time. Our second one, um, we actually leveraged that into an office complex, um, complex late in 2019. I think it was October of 2019. So we used, so our assets had appreciated and we had gains. And then you take those and you do a 1031 exchange. And so for the, the first one, that di it didn't work out. So we ended up paying a tax bill. Um, but we still were able to, in this, in this whole process, I want to say it was early in 20, I guess it was early in 2019. My husband set a goal in front of a bunch of real estate investors that he, his goal was to syndicate 100 units by, I think it was June. And he said this goal out loud in April. So that was only a couple months away. And that really, he had already been researching it and trying to figure out looking at deals you know, it was a, it was a multi-year process, but from the time he made the announcement in April of 2019 and said he was going to do it by June, he actually found a deal, got it under contract. This was for a multifamily in Kentucky. Um, we found some partners, like it all happened. Like, it sounds like it happened fast, but I want to, I want people to know there was like a two-year ramping up process where we were looking at deals. We were trying to figure out, you know, how this process worked. And so we sold off the smaller properties. We did two syndications essentially in uh, 2019, one for an 82 unit apartment complex that closed in July of 2019. And then we closed in October on our office complex, which was leveraged or we used our 1031 funds to get into that bigger asset. So now mm -hmm. we have $5 million in cash flowing assets um, at the end of 2019. And, you know, five years before that, we basically had zero cash flowing assets because we had one single family home we were living in. That's terrific. Now, I want to say, so your story, basically, you have a two years R&D where you, you know, didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, Billy said, hey, I will have 100 units by June, like, you know, two, two months away. I, I want to understand from your standpoint as, as a spouse, what were you thinking at that point when he said that? Uh, a couple things. He, he, he always talks about that as his big turning point of, he said that in front of people. Um, no, maybe he announced it in the early, maybe it was like February. And then he was speaking again in April and people were going to want to know. Anyway, it was a short amount of time. It was like six months. B. Um, a couple of things I was thinking, I was thinking one, that sounds a little crazy Two, I know he can do this. Like I had already seen all the years of research, relationship building, figuring out how you vet a deal. Um, we actually went to like a deal analysis workshop together. Um, it was in October. I'm, I don't know the exact year, but anyway, we've done a lot of stuff together and he'd done a lot of stuff separately and he'd always been just getting this education. But I think I just, anytime he comes to me with a crazy thing, I'm just like one, Okay, sounds a little crazy. But two, immediate second thought is he can do this. We can figure this out. Like whatever the process is, if you just keep chipping away at it. And a, another thing he uh, totally needed in this process, and he'd be the first one to tell you this, is learning to ask for help. We would not have done our syndication if we didn't find a partner 
who was willing to help us, who had much more knowledge and expertise in that specific asset because it needed cap it needed capital improvements. It was owned by uh, like a mom and pop older gentleman wanting to retire. Um, so nothing had really been systematized. So there was inefficiencies, room for improvement. Um, so it was kind of like this blend of like, you know, we are, we're going to improve the asset, um, which those are a little bit harder to find nowadays. So if we hadn't asked around and gotten a partner, we wouldn't have closed it on our own. And I think sometimes we want to be all solo on it. Um, it, well, not me, I wouldn't, I'm so grateful. I have my, you know, my husband and people I've met through other women I've met in real estate investing. Like now I know the power is in the team and the people, you know, um, but so that's, you know, that's the main answer. Whenever he comes with crazy ideas, one, in the, I'm kind of like, that sounds a little crazy. But also I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like we totally, you can totally do this. You know, if we, if we get stuck, ask, ask for help, reach out to mentors. I'm glad you said that. Um, you know, the importance of mentors, coaching and asking for help, it would save years of research that you know you otherwise would spend time doing could you like you mentioned about this before but could you tell us me the audience about your experience in coaching with the real estate guys uh, russell gray and robert helm yes so we joined their syndication mentoring club um july of last year and i wasn't sure what to expect um but it has just been wonderful i have gained so many friends i have gained you know women friends, men friends, there's some couples. Um, it's been a joy. Uh, you know, it's been unfortunate that we can't have live events and meet these up with these people in person, because that's kind of how their group does things. You travel and you get in rooms with people. But due to the way the world is right now, everything's kind of had to go virtual for a while. And so I've treasured those, even still trying to build those relationships virtually um, has been very beneficial and, and not feeling afraid to ask someone, oh, I met you at such and such event, or my husband talked to you and he said you do you know, coaching as well. Like I know I reached out to a gal many months ago who we met through real estate who does coaching as well. And I wanted to pick her brain about who she coached and why. And I was thinking of doing something similar. Um, and so just having that people that are headed in the same direction is super helpful. Um, people that, you know, can, if when you are stuck or you have a deal, you can take it to them and you can say, like we did with our syndication, you take it to them and, you know, hopefully if they can't help you, they refer you to someone who can. And that's the power. I think sometimes we think, I, I, another gal has told me this, that she feels like, you know, leveraging relationships could seem like selfish, like you only want to know them because of what they can do for you. But you're actually just asking for people's help. And if they can't help you, then maybe they'll refer you to someone that can. And I don't think when we're on the other side of someone coming to us and asking us for help, unless it's like done in a very overtly greedy way, we're all just like, oh, either yes, we have the skill set and time to help them. Or I don't really do that. But my friend so-and-so does. So nobody, you know, usually is offended when you ask for their help. But I think sometimes as women, we can think, oh, I don't want to come across as like just using you for what you know or who you can connect me with. But um, it's actually, you know, your coach, Mike Zeller, had actually told me that when I was on a call with him through my coaching group, uh, he was a guest and he said asking actually strengthens the relationship. And that was so helpful for me to just confirm that it's okay to ask that 
it strengthens the relationship. Yes, totally. And, you know, asking is one of those things that we are not taught to do because in school, if you can remember, you ask for help, that's called cheating. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so we're not conditioned to ask for help. And I and I bring up the real estate guys uh, because I want to pay a little tribute to Bob Helm, who passed away uh, recently. And, um, you know, I just want to share a little bit of information about a scholarship that uh, the real estate guys are doing. Um, they are putting up a scholarship funds to support deserving young adults not yet in a position to afford training and mentoring. Um, so if you feel like you want to donate to the fund, um, go ahead and send out an email to them, scholarship at realestateguysradio.com. Now, back to our conversation. I know you love this model about syndication, uh, especially what Robert and Russell teach. But can you share what things or what niches the people in your group are syndicating? Um, yeah, for sure. So I know we do have a lot of people that do the traditional like multifamily, uh, which is apartment buildings. Um, then we also in our, our, this was a while ago when we were physically meeting with these folks. So I'll tell you what people were working on at that time. We mm -hmm. had some people that specialized in hospitality, which I have not you know, I didn't know them super well personally, so I haven't circled back to them to see how they're doing through all this. But mm -hmm. they what they specialized in was getting, you know, maybe some distressed or um, aging like inns or bed and breakfasts, like a decent sized property. And then and then having um, her idea was basically, you know, she was noticing a lot of people were struggling where to hold their weddings. And so this was somewhere on the East Coast. I forget exactly where the property is located, but they were going to take like a distressed, underutilized you know, older in situation and they were going to revamp it. And one of their main streams of revenue was going to be events and weddings. And I thought that was super cool. They were the sweetest couple ever. Um, they had a bunch of kids like these are families that are that are investing in assets to serve a need. These aren't just a bunch of like greedy people in a room figuring out how they can own all the stuff and charge super high rents like we the, the real estate guys really pride themselves on we're solution providers. We're looking for where the needs are. So another group of people I know I'm friends with through that group on Facebook, um, they do senior living uh, or assisted living for seniors. And mm -hmm. their model is a little bit different. We actually have friends here in Tennessee that are doing something similar. It's called residential assisted living. And so it's a smaller, you would find like our friends here in uh, outskirts of Nashville, they found like a big house where they can then segregate it into 14 rooms. So it's going to be a 14 person um, senior home. And so it's not big scale uh, nursing home. It's small and it, you keep the care much more individualized. And then the price point is like super, super affordable. So there's many experts within the real estate guys that do this just as their niche. And there's ways that you can develop these facilities that's really going to meet the need for these. Um, you know, we have a huge population of the baby boomers that are going to need options. They're either going to have to move in with their kids 
or they're going to have to go to a big nursing home, which right now with what we're in, I think people are starting to think through different options um, for that population because they're, you know, kind of at risk when it comes to big health issues going through the populations. And, um, you know, just what are your options? And if you don't have, you know, lots of money um, to afford care, it's nice to know that there are people out there that are putting their minds together to say, how can we do, um, you know, still get these people quality care, but keep the prices more affordable for them. And so that's a really neat niche that I've, I know some of my friends are in. And then I've heard, um, yeah, through real estate guys, there's a guy that does, he does more like real asset investing. And so I think he's done some, you know, things that you rent out to tenants and things, but he also, um, just does funds that invest in, um, they buy up a bunch of ATMs and he structured this whole thing. And so they do all these different assets. Um, and there was one other, oh, mixed use. Some of our friends out on the West Coast do more um, like office space and um, which I was just reading about that today on one of the Facebook groups I follow, somebody that bought a mixed use space and she was like, I'm, I'm converted. I want to do nothing but mixed use space from now on because she really, her first one turned out really successful where she is able to rent out the bottom floor to businesses. Like it's a salon where she has booths for nails and hair and stuff. And mm-hmm. then just one apartment above. And she, so she was really getting into that asset class of the mixed use because she said the, the apartment helps kind of offset the businesses, but you're also renting to businesses on the bottom. So it's that blend, which could offer a little bit of a buffer, um, you know, instead of just straight office, um, buildings. So now with everything that you just described so far, uh, it seems like this is not something that your woman clients or your audience could get in, right? I mean, syndication, it seems like something is really hard to get into. Uh, I think it depends. It depends (laughs) where you're coming from. So if you are the type of person that is like, Hey, I have all this money and it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to, it's been in the stock market or I don't want to put it in the stock market or whatever. Like if you have money to invest and we'll just throw the figure out there of $50,000, there are plenty of things to invest in in syndication. The most things I'm on mailing lists for um, is usually just multifamily um, or I do get the assets on, like I said, my friend that does the ATM investing. Um, I I do know a few people also that do... um, like self-storage, that's another one that can have really good recession, almost quote-unquote recession-proof um, cash flow is self-storage. And I'm completely forgetting another asset class, but I get those emails where they're they're usually putting together offerings. So if you want to be a passive investor and you have the cash, there are opportunities. If you are sitting in a position where you're like, I don't have that cash right now, how can I still get in this? That's where you need to start thinking creatively and look at, you know, the sweat equity or be on the active side of a syndication. And you need to start understanding what that means. Um, Asset management, because I know because I've done a little bit of this myself on our on our first syndication um, is a lot of work unless you have a super easy peasy asset that you know, nothing's going on and it's just the rent comes in and you pay the mortgage and the rent comes in and you pay the mortgage. Um, Asset management is kind of creating another job for yourself. So, but there are a couple ways to get in. You can Mm -hmm. either have money or you can bring your skill set. Definitely. And if you don't know how to get started, you know, you don't have money or skill set, but you have something else. Well, let's figure it out. Let's uh, contact me, myself, and or reach out to Addison. She could coach you 
through the whole process and get your money mindset right. You could reach out to her at simplyallisonbrown.com. Her email is simply, repeat, simplyallisonbrown at gmail.com. Or if you just want to check her out and read her content, join her Facebook groups. And I have the link here for you. It's links.realestatelab.live slash simplewealth. Now, Allison, I know you have a 90 days wealth empowerment coaching journey for women. Could you share some details on that? Sure, I sure can. So that is my uh, first and only offering right now is, you know, 90 days. It may eventually, as my program continues to evolve, turn into something longer or a different different group structure or something. But right now that's one-on-one coaching. Um, And we have a call. um, We aim for three times a month. So some calls are a little bit closer together and then there's like two weeks and another call. So it's a good flow of um, what to, to kind of expect there. Um, usually the, the clients that I connect with the best come with, um, some understanding already of money management and budgeting. I don't necessarily position myself as a budget coach. I have another referral if that's what you're looking for. So reach out to me on that. Um, so I kind of already assume you've got, you know, the basics down, but you are looking at, either you're wanting to launch a business or you are running a business and you want to kind of level up. And so we look at certain things to get that one, to get practical things in line, make sure you know your numbers. Do you know how many assets you own? Do you know where your liabilities are? Do you know, um, you know, what your credit score is? So those are some of the things we do in the very first call. And then it's customized from there. Um, We may address goals Um, Did you set any? If you did, do they still mean anything? Um, And then we just kind of, you know, go from there. But if you are specifically looking to figure out, okay, I have been investing in real estate or I already own like, you know, a duplex over here, but I'm thinking I want to eventually just have more options and more investments. That's kind of my sweet spot is, is we can kind of figure out all the different options that are available to you, all the different paths that will get you there. Um, because I think a lot of people have a similar goal of the more I can have my time, freedom and financial freedom, the better. So that's really where my target audience is, is those that are like, okay, when I read these books from Robert Kiyosaki, I'm like, this makes sense. But now you're kind of like, I've spent enough time uh, getting my feet wet and I want to start connecting those dots. Those are the women I can really help. So you've already laid some groundwork. Let's start connecting those dots of where you want to go next. Do you have any tips for these women to have some quick wins right away before they even join your coaching program? I sure do. I think one of the things that I did a couple of years ago that was super helpful for me is I, and I don't know where this came from. Maybe I saw it on Pinterest, so it's not original to me, but I did a 21 day gratitude challenge. And what that looked like is for 21 days, every day, I wrote down three things. They had to be three separate things each day that I was grateful for. So do a 21 day gratitude challenge, practice, whatever you want to call it, where you're writing down three separate things in a notebook, in a word document, wherever, um, and see where that gets you. And I, looking back, credit that to being very instrumental 
in laying that groundwork to start getting the right mindset of, because if you're, if you're thinking I'm miserable where I'm at and it's going to be better where I'm going, you're going to be really disappointed. So that's an easy, quick tip is start working on your mindset now. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Uh, Sometimes we're listening to ourselves and we need to have a stern talking with ourselves and say, you need to be more grateful and more gentle with yourself. So a gratitude practice helps train the brain in the right direction. Yeah. And you can use this as a journal as well as you kind of build out this new habit. It's uh, 21 days is not enough for you to build a new habit. Why not just take it to 30 days when you do something for 30 days that becomes your new habit and it is something that is very very beneficial and i see a lot of people do it especially in uh, the community where um, people who love the book by how Elrod, the miracle morning this is one of the things that he talked about in that book and it's super super beneficial for people who uh, follow this um now as in beside Robert Kiyosaki's books. Do you have any other book recommendation for the audience? Yes, I do. I love reading books this year. I've actually started also doing audiobooks. So I can be reading something, you know, on my Kindle or as a physical book. And then when I'm in my car, I don't have a super long commute. But when I'm in my car and I don't have a, a toddler with me, um, I will listen to something else that is to spark curiosity or creativity. So my favorite audiobook this far uh, this, far this year has been... Um, Cyber Psycho, I'm getting the name of it all wrong. Do you know the book I'm talking about, B? Cyber Psychonetics. No. No. Psycho, here we go. Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. I got it. (laughs) Awesome. Now, talking about curiosity, what are you most curious about right now? So I've taken to uh, when I, when I do lives within my group and I share weekly nuggets about wealth or just mindset, I've taken to signing off and and saying, stay curious. And I think that's one of the things that has been super helpful in our mindset, in our household this year, Um, instead of saying, um, you know, we can't afford that, say, how can we start? Start asking better questions to get your brain thinking in a problem-solving, curious mindset. You know, how might we is a good question to always ask your brain. How might we? And then, you know, play out the scenario where it's it's more of a win-win. So I'm always curious to, instead of immediately saying, I don't have time for that, I can't do that. First, I always get back to, do I really want to do this? And if the answer is, yes, I really want to do this and, and here's why, you know, here's some, you know, I feel strongly that this will help me grow or I'll meet awesome people or whatever. Then, because, you know, I'm doing a lot right now, uh, I'm like, okay, I really want to do this. So I will figure out how to find time for this and it won't be stressful. And you just let your mind be curious about what would that look like? How can we fit that in? Not in a way that it's like I have to do everything a thousand percent, you know. Um, but stay curious to, well, what if I did commit to this and what would that look like? And, you know, what other things could I give up or push off my plate? And just bringing that attitude of really staying open is what curiosity means to me right now. Stay curious. That is terrific. Now, Allison, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Before I let you go, tell me, what is your most favorite Proverbs or a success quote? 
Hmm. My most favorite Proverbs or success quote. Well, that is a good question. I think, um, because I'm very literal. And so when you said the word Proverbs, it made me think of the Proverbs 31 woman in the Bible. And she, she does a lot of different things. And it's this whole, you know, tribute to this wonderful woman. Anyway, people should be fairly familiar with it. But it talks about, you know, she laughs at the future. And I always found that super curious because, you know, in my younger years, I was a big worrier about money and where, how things were going to work and where money was going to come from. But now I actually use that part of Proverbs 31 on my website because I just like the idea of no matter what happens, we will figure this out. Like we will be okay. Uh, Hard times might come, challenging times might come, but the idea of laughing at the future because one, you've prepared for it. And two, you're also just you realize that there's so many things you can't control that, you know, you just need to kind of use laughter as the best medicine and, and go with what's coming sometimes. That is a good, good proverb. Now, um, Addison, I just want to say thank you again for joining me on the show. Could you share who, how else the audience could reach out to you or could stay connect with you uh, after the show? And on also, do you have any parting words of wisdom for the audience. Sure, sure. I think we already touched on it. The best way to reach me is through my website, which is simply alisonbrown.com. There's ways to schedule a discovery call with me on the website. There's a little button, I think that says book a call. Um, You also can connect with me um, through my Facebook group. I think you're going to have that link in the show notes. I love to connect with people on Facebook. That's like the main social platform I'm on right now. and yeah, I guess my my words would be no matter where you're at in your journey, you are right on time. Just keep going, one foot in front of the other, having conversations that really spark that uh, you know, ignite that flame in you and really keep you curious of, oh, okay, you know, this is how this person did this real estate investment. And if that's something that interests you, maybe figure out if, if that's what you want to do. But you don't need to look exactly like everyone else. But wherever you are in your journey, you're right on time. You're right on time and stay curious with that. Thank you so much for your time, Allison. All right. Thank you, V. I appreciate it. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.